My name's Jim. If you're new, welcome. Um, I want to tell you a story um, that I'll just warn you up front has a little bit of a sad ending. Uh, actually, if you're me, a really sad ending. But as a bunch of you guys know, I used to work with middle and high school kids exclusively. Now I still do, but just I work with adults too. Uh, but used to just work with middle and high school kids, and I had a thing that we did on a Wednesday night program where we had a ton of kids come into this thing, kind of like what uh, Chris and Ella and our middle school team do here with middle schoolers on Wednesday nights. They've got 100, 120 kids that will come out on a Wednesday night. We had this big middle school thing at a different time in my life, different church, that kind of thing. And you, those of you guys who work with kids, you know that there's certain kids that you just will always remember. So I had this one kid, we'll call him Joe, because that's the international generic name. Uh, sorry, any Joes out there. But we'll call him Joe, and Joe came and showed up one Wednesday night, and he was hilarious. He was one of those kids that's like, he is so like making sure that everybody knows how cool he is. So he kind of walks in with a little bit of this strut, you know, and he walks up to me, and he looks at me, and I'm like, hey, man. And uh, it doesn't tell me his name, but just looks at me and just goes, I don't want to be here. I'm like, oh, okay, my name's Jim, and good to meet you. And uh, so, you know, what's your deal, man? He goes, my mom made me come to this. I'm like, oh, so here's what you do with a kid like Joe. So I, I'm like, oh, Joe, man, I feel your pain, man. You're going to hate this. I'm like, this, this whole thing's going to be a miserable experience, I promise. Your mom is wrong. Tell you what, uh, let's make a deal, man. You, you know, the end of the night, I'm going to talk to you. We're going to make sure we call your mom. I will personally call your mom and tell her that she's wrong, that she should not be sending you against your will to this thing. So how's that sound? He's like, okay. And then, and then I said to him, I said, look, you know, for tonight, I don't want to force you to do anything you don't want to do. You ought to, I know that we've got this bungee run over here all set up and we got food and all that stuff. You don't have to do any of that stuff. Just sit right over here in the corner and just watch, and you'll be, you'll be good, man. I don't, want, I don't want you to suffer at all. He's like, bungee run? <laughs> so Joe starts playing. You know, he's on the bungee run. He's having a good time. He's, you know, not his image of church, the, the image that many of us, you know, that didn't necessarily go to church our whole lives have of church. And he's having a blast. So at the end of the night, I come up to Joe, and I'm like, Joe. I'm like, buddy, I got to get your mom's number. Can, you got it? Let me, let me give her a call. I'll call her tomorrow. He goes, you know, I think she's going to be pretty busy this week. <laughs> I don't know. This probably isn't a good week to call her. But uh, so maybe I'll bet you she'll force me to come next week too. So maybe we can talk next week. I'm like, let's talk next week. Joe shows up next week. He's having a blast. Joe comes for like six weeks in a row and just he's having a ball. He's hearing about Jesus for probably the first time. And you can see a little light going on his head. He's meeting people. There's a sparkle in Joe all of a sudden. So, but I'm like, I'm going to push this. Like, I, I mean, let's, let's play with this a little bit more. So the end of six weeks, I go to Joe and I'm like, Joe, I've been feeling really convicted by this man. I got to call your mom. I just feel like she cannot make you come to this anymore. So I got, he knew, that, he knew at that point that I had his mom's number. I'm going to call her tomorrow. That, so, you know, just, I just wanted you to know. He goes, no. I'm like, what? He looks at me and he kind of looks around, make sure there was no other, nobody else near. He goes, 
kind of like it here. I'm like, oh. Man, Joe started coming. He's, he's going to camps now all of a sudden. He, he came for like the next year and just loved this kid. So funny, so fun. You could see him growing. You could see this, the, the, um, how God had started to kind of break through and, and show him something that he just didn't think was true about God and about church until about midway through the second semester of his eighth grade year, Literally, for the first time since that first night that he came, he didn't show up. And I noticed, not, not because, you know, I'm taking attendance or because God's taking attendance of your church attendance, you know. Like, that's, that's not how it works. But I noticed because I love this kid. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. Joe didn't show up. Next week comes around. Joe doesn't show up again. So I do call his mom. Get on the phone, I'm like, hey, Mrs. Joe, um, you know, tell me, tell me what's going on, man. We're really, we're missing Joe here. And she goes, well, he's in trouble, and that's why he hasn't come. I'm like, oh. And I'm like, so did you guys, have you grounded him from church because of what he did? Is that, is that what's going on? She's like, no. Joe actually got caught smoking pot, and what we've decided to do is we really wanted him to come back to church, but actually, Jim, Joe doesn't want to. Oh, I mean, you could have, like, stuck a knife in me and twisted it. I just, those words, I, I was like, why? And I spent the next five minutes just going, oh, my gosh, like, what's, what's going on? What, why wouldn't he want to come back? Well, Joe feels like if he comes back that people will judge him for what he's done and he thinks that he has disappointed you personally. I mean, I just went off on the phone going, you've got to understand, we love this kid. Please. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter. There's nothing this kid could do that would want us to not have him back. I I know he probably, I get why he feels that way, but no, 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 please. Can I talk to him? Can I... She's like, I don't think it's a good thing for you to talk to him right now, so, but you can tell me some stuff through me and I'll relay it to him. I'm like, just tell him. We love him here. It doesn't matter what he's done. Send him back, please. Another few weeks go by and he doesn't come. And I call again to the house and I just say, what's going on? And she said, said to me, she just goes, you know, uh, I don't think you're ever going to see him again. He just can't get over the idea that he has disappointed you. And this, this is her words, not Joe's. The mom says, he just feels so much shame. I got to tell you guys, I never, I never saw him again. Never, never came back. Never saw him. Don't know what happened. And do you know how many times I replayed in my mind, like, did I say something in all those talks that I gave or in the way the culture that we had set up, was there anything in us that would have communicated to Joe that he couldn't come back, that um, even though he had done something wrong, that for some reason that created a wall for him. And I lived with that for a while, going, did I fail him? somehow. 
But ultimately, it wasn't about me, I don't think. Ultimately, it was, man, what is it in every human heart that causes us to run away from God and then causes us, because we're all going to run away, and then what causes us to not want to come home? God is at home like we were just going, man, come back, please, you know. We love you. What causes us to hit the door and run away and what causes us to not want to come back? Guys, this series this month I think is really important. We're, we're going to be talking about finding our way back. How do we find our way back to God? If you're somebody that has ever run away from God, if you're somebody that is currently running away from God, if you're somebody that thinks you have the potential to run away from God, this is for you. If you're somebody that would answer no to any of those three questions right there, this is for you. You know, that's to not think that we've either run away, are running away, or could run away is a sure sign that we are the ultimate runaways. And it's the kind of runaways that Jesus actually warns the most against. This is something every single one of us, if we're honest, can relate to. I got to tell you guys, we're going to sing a song after this. It's this old hymn, Come Thou Fount. And the reason I want to sing it is there is a line in there that I'm telling you, my heart beats out of my chest every time I sing it. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I'm like, I don't relate to a lot. That I relate to. Because, man, I, I am so much. And as Bill and I work through this month, you got to know, and we are real familiar with what it means to wander away from God. But what we want to do, guys, is take a look at this and go, if you are somebody that, let's say you have like doubted God and somebody has foolishly shamed you and made you feel weird, like like God somehow is angry because you're asking questions about his existence or about the Bible or did Jesus really come back from the dead? And you have doubted enough and been shamed by somebody and you feel like, I can't come back home, man. You've been lied to on that. You can come home. One of the, one of the, the four words we want you to hear from this series, most of all, are these. You can come home. If you've had a tragedy happen in your life that you can't explain and you find out the more people you talk to and ask them, how could God allow this to happen, and you realize there's actually not a whole lot of good answers for some of that stuff. And it has pushed you away from God for a long time now, but maybe you feel like there's a spark of something more. You can come home. Maybe you feel like you're somebody that like, you're, you started out passionate about God and that has just kind of like whew, waned and died and you feel withered in your relationship with God. You can come home. Man, what I don't want Joe or anyone to go through their entire life knowing is for those of us who wander away from home, you can come home. Jesus tells one of the greatest stories of all time that a lot of you 
are very familiar with, and some of you maybe have never heard it before. But it's a story that Jesus told that we're going to work through this month kind of bit by bit, and we're going to point out some stuff that I think may be new to you about two kids and their father. The father is this loving, incredible guy who is arms wide open, and the two kids are both runaways in different ways. And we're going to look today at the first part of the story. We're going to focus on this first runaway because what I want us to do is I want us to ask the question today, what is it? What is it in my heart, your heart, that makes us want to run away? We got to live with that first before we can talk about what it means to come home. So let's look at this. Luke, Luke chapter 15 is Jesus' story here that he told about these two sons and it goes like this. Jesus told him this story. Man had two sons. Younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Think about this. You heard the story. Make it personal for your family. If if you got siblings, let's say you, if you're the younger or, or your younger brother or sister actually came to your parents one day or your dad or whoever and said, you know what, I actually can't wait until you die. I want my money now. What does that do to your family dynamic? So don't lose the like punch of this. This is a punch in the gut. So much so, there's a guy named Ken Bailey who's a commentator uh, who lived in the Middle East for decades. And he would go around, and part of what was so great about him was that he would go around and he would tell these stories to people in the Middle East that actually weren't all that familiar with them and see how they would respond culturally. The universal response was, if a younger son came to a dad and said this in that culture, the dad would physically beat the kid. So what we expect here. As Jesus starts this story and the people are listening, you'd expect the dad just to boom, like lay it down on this kid. Check this out. The next four words here in this next verse are some of the most important words, in my opinion, in the Bible. It says something theologically about who God is in four words that you breeze right over if you just read this parable and you don't stop and think about this. Look at the next four words. So his father agreed. The, dad, the kid comes and says, hey, I want my money now. I'm out. I want out of here. Sick of living in your house. And the father agrees. Here's what I want you to think about this for a second. Uh, we're going to circle back to this thought here in a second because I think These four words matter so much for not only running away, but coming home. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. He does it. Are you kidding me? He actually does it. Divvies it up. Says, you can take it. Look look what the next uh, verse says. A few days later, the son packed all his belongings, packed it all up, and moved to a distant land. Guys, this is important. Jesus actually puts that word in there, this, that phrase. It's a distant land, far away as he can get. This isn't like a little white lie that you told, and so I'm like this far from God. No, this is, 
I went as far away as I can from God. I ran away and I kept going. He moved to a distant land and there he wasted. All that money is now gone in wild living. Booze, parties, prostitutes. Man, this kid has run. Jesus wants to make sure we understand the gravity of this. It's a huge decision. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. This is like bad timing. Runs out of money and now there's no food. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. You guys will know the prohibition for Jews and pigs. This is, for a Jew, this is about as bad of things you can do. He's now in charge of pigs. This is how desperate it's become. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. I mean, this, he's hit the bottom of the barrel now, but no one gave him anything. We're going to pause button on the story, and we're going to unpack it more as we go along in the next few weeks, because what I want to do is I want to I stop us before we go on and say, there are parts of the story that are so important to us that go unaddressed. Here, specifically, here's what I'm looking at. We've got to ask, why? Why would this kid who's growing up on what presumably is a pretty well-off place, why would he run away from his dad? What is it in him that would make him run away from home? And if we can figure out some of that of what's going on in his heart, maybe we can figure out why we run away too. It's hard to come home unless you live in the depth of running away, unless you feel what it's like to be far from God. If you feel like you're like great with God right now, I want you to actually remember for a moment that feeling of being far away from God. But here's what Henry Nouwen says on this. Henry Nouwen, great. If you haven't read his uh, parable, The Prodigal Son, fantastic book. Here's what he says. He says, only when I have the courage to explore in depth what it means to leave home can I come to a true understanding of the return. And we're going to live there a little bit today. What does it mean and why do we run away from home? Um, you know, I can only in some ways speak to my own uh, proclivity to, to run. And, and, and I want to I tell you, there's two major reasons why I think I run away from God, and I think they're similar, maybe for all of us, but they're certainly similar for what I think is happening with this prodigal son, why this younger son takes off and leaves, because I have the same things right here in my heart. I think God has put in us some things that are absolutely meant to be wonderful, but they are things that also, if we're not attentive and closely watch them, can lead us down the wrong path. Here, here's two things I think that are longings in my soul, in this younger son's soul, and I would bet in your soul, that I think can go one of two ways. Longings are this, and these are given to us by God. Obviously, God has given every single person in this room a, like, total longing and desire for love, for intimacy, to be close. That is just, it's wired into us. 
But here's another one that I don't think gets talked about enough that's true for me. Oh my gosh, I am so wired for this. Love and adventure. They're just like baked into who I am. Every single day, I think I wake up and I think you wake up looking to figure out how is this longing going to be met? What today is going to meet the longing of my desire to be loved and feel close to someone or to find adventure, something new? And I think there's a couple different things that can happen. When I'm walking with God and I'm listening and I'm around like that loving father who's got his arms wide open, I end up going this way where it's healthy, where I'm actually experiencing what is great about this longing for love. And if you've ever read uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you get an idea of what love really is. You read that and you understand it's not just about like the, the warm fuzzy you feel for somebody else. No, it's like love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, isn't proud, isn't rude, isn't self-seeking. Wow, that's different. It doesn't keep records of right or wrong. It doesn't rejoice in evil. It rejoices in the truth. Always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. Love never fails. I think I just butchered that verse, actually. You'd have to look it up, but... It's something like that. That's, that's when I'm at my best, is when the thing that God has put in your heart like that, that longing, actually gets met in a healthy way. Here's the problem. Come on, you know this about yourself. I'm so fool's gold. <laughs> Could have been bad. <laughs> Very important L. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so a sucker for false stuff. I, you know, it's like I, I know that this like, desire for love is in me. I am so willing to find that from sources that aren't good. I'm so likely, the way I'm wired, to find it in my career find it in money, find it in what other people say about me, even just find it in the love from another person, which I know in the end will always fail. Every human being will fail us some ways. But I get up every day and this fight is going on over my little heart. And I wonder if that younger son woke up day after day and maybe wasn't in tune with the fight going on inside of him. He wasn't listening. And it's so easy then to run down after fool's gold and it stinks when you find out that it actually doesn't satisfy you in the end. And you know that if you've done this before. Here, here's the problem. Oh, man. God and I are going to have a chat someday, guys. I, I'm going to sit down and be like, God, you got to answer me this. Why is it that you being the most powerful person ever are also the quietest voice in the room? You ever notice the irony of that? Jesus, the most powerful, tends to whisper and is quiet. Man, these guys over here, 
they will scream and yell for you. Money, career, whatever it is that's going to provide some sense of significance and love will scream at you day after day. Are you kidding me, guys? Every ad executive in this country knows that you have this longing in you. They know us better than we know ourselves, and they are plotting in some ways to figure out this. And it's this little, quiet voice that we've got to train ourselves to be in touch with who whispers to us going, no, 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 no. If you want to find something solid and secure and actually real, not phony, this is the way you got to go. Man, I'll tell you guys, if I don't, I'm learning this about myself. If I don't take time every day, because this fight goes on every day. If I don't take time every day to sit there, I open my little journal and I go, Lord, all right, the fight is on. I'm prone to wander. Spirit, how will you help me today, please? And I listen for that little voice. And some days I end up on the right side and other days, not so much. How about, how about this one though? Adventure. I, anybody else here just like, you love new stuff? You love, uh, you love creativity? Man, that's put in you by God. I'll tell you guys, when I, when I look at the mountains, you, you know what I see? I know a lot of you look at the mountains and you see the peaks and you see the snow and you're like, oh, that's great. You know what I see? I see actually the little dips because I know that in the little dips, there are lakes. And in the lakes, there are trout. And I picture myself with my three-weight sage fly rod off trail, cruising through the bushes, finding some lake that has no name, that nobody else knows about. And I imagine myself catching some giant, awesome fish and bringing it down here and showing it to all of you. I mean, that's like bucket list kind of stuff. I know it's a pipe dream. I know it'll probably never happen. Oh, man, that's a nice brook trout. Yeah. No, I'm just wired for this. I'm wired for adventure. And on the good side of that, good side of that leads me to creativity and experiences. Those are, that's stuff God put in you. Love, adventure, longing that God has put into you. Good side, not so good side. Man, I was reading something the other day. The time where people, and men and women, are almost equally as guilty of this, the time where men and women are most likely to have an affair, to cheat on their spouse, is in their late 30s, 40s, or 50s, early 50s. Kind of, I don't think it's a coincidence. It kind of just happens to coincide with what we might call midlife. We've gone through all the adventure of the first discoveries, first home, first job, you know, I'm married, first kids, all, all the stuff, right, is the first. And then by the time that we hit our 40s, I'm 44, you're now into your seconds or your thirds or whatever. And you start to go, is there anything new? Is there any, what's, what is it about me that is unique or different? The longing for adventure when you hit midlife can kind of start 
to fade. And this, according to people who know more than I do, is when people tend to cheat on their spouses. They're looking for love, we're looking for adventure, and we look for it in the wrong place. Do you know that 60% of American males would say that once a month they use pornography? I actually think it's probably higher because for guys or for anybody, we're unlikely to admit to that. So 60% of guys are willing to say they do, then it's probably higher than that. Why? Why do, we, why do we do that? I think we're smart enough in this case to know that images that we see on a screen aren't actually going to love us back. So it's probably not love that we're after. I think, honestly, the root of pornography comes from the desire for adventure. The longing is good. The longing is God-given. The way it gets played out is not. You guys know the root word for pornography? Porn means, the root word means to twist, to misshape, to take something that was meant to be good, a longing that God put in us that was supposed to be good. It was God's idea. But it gets twisted. Man, guys, every day, every day the fight is on. The longings are there. Love and adventure. And, and the question is, will we listen to the loud voices or will you listen, will I listen to the quietest voice in the room? We're going to mess this up. Even, even Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, Paul has this great... Sometimes you're, you're feeling bad about yourself. Go read Romans chapter 7. Paul says, right, the guy you think of as being Mr. Holy, he goes, there's actually nothing good in me. He goes, you know, the things I want to do, I can't do. I want to do right, but I don't. I want to avoid what's bad, but I do it anyway. Here's the guy who's writing, literally writing the scripture down for us. And he is as lost as he can be. And he knows it. That's us. We're going to fail. We're going to end up on this side of the board. And we want you to hear, you can come home. There's a God that's waiting for you on the other side with arms wide open. How do we know that? I want to end by taking you back to this first uh, passage. I mentioned those four words. I I love these four words. Oh, thank you, God, that Jesus told the story this way. Remember the four words? It was this. So his father agreed. How different would our experience of God be if those four words were something different and said, so the father got mad. The father refused. Can you imagine the terror if, these, if, if the next line that Jesus said was, the father prevented him from leaving. The fact that the father agrees tells me 
that we've got a God who actually loves enough. He knows how to love enough to allow you the freedom to run away. You think about that, that's kind of mind-blowing. All the power in the world, but he lets you run. He'll let us go. He doesn't have to, but he respects you enough, and he knows that if he doesn't let you run, that you won't come back on your own accord. And if you don't come back on your own accord, it's actually not love. So the father agreed, says to me, that we actually have a God who knows how to love us and is waiting for us. Man, if you're a runaway like me, would you try this month? Would you be open this month to coming home? Maybe, maybe you'd spend, maybe you'd agree this month to start, maybe it's just like five minutes a day. Will you agree to, to listen to the quietest voice in the room? I bet you if you did that this month, just for five minutes even, Lord, let me end up on your side. Let me come home. Help me not run away in the future. If you started five minutes a day just going, Lord, I'm going to listen to the quietest voice in the room, how different would you be? It's going to be a fun month, you guys. If you're somebody that feels like maybe at some point you've run away or you're running away now, I want to invite you at the end of the service. We have people up here that just pray. Maybe just come and let them pray for you, put their hand on you, and just maybe they'll do a simple prayer like, Lord, I'm just I'm praying for this person to come home. Let us pray for you. But be open to what God might do to have us come home to him. So God, we want to thank you for that you let us run. We want to thank you that you wait for us with open arms to come home. I think of uh, my middle school friend from years ago. I pray, God, for him, wherever he is now, that somehow maybe he heard the message in there that someday he could come home. I pray for us in here that if there's anything that has stopped us from coming home, that over these next few weeks, we would realize that we have been lied to, that you're ready to receive us. God, help us to wake up each day and understand the things in our hearts that could lead us down the wrong path and steer us, God, toward health. Lord, we love you. Thanks for how good you are. And we pray that together in Jesus' name, amen. As we're gonna sing this last song and it's gonna include those words, prone to wander. And uh, so let's, let's sing it. Let's feel it and let's sing out to God.